I'm Lorraine, and this is Everyday Heroes. Today, my guest is our Mighty May. Our Mighty May, DVM, is an integrative house call veterinarian and vegan advocate practicing in Los Angeles. She graduated with a BS in bioresource sciences from UC Berkeley in 2001. After graduating with her veterinary degree from UC Davis School of Veterinary Medicine in 2005, Dr. May worked at an emergency dog and cat hospital and then trained in veterinary acupuncture through the Qi Institute of Chinese Medicine. Dr. May volunteers to help homeless animals monthly. For the past 10 years, she has had a veterinary house call practice for dogs and cats in the Los Angeles area. Dr. May completed her certification in animal chiropractic from Options for Animals in 2015. She has recently founded a nonprofit organization called the Veterinary Association for the Protection of Animals to educate the veterinary profession about the benefits of vegan eating and encourage veterinary schools to offer humane surgical teaching methods to students. Hi, Dr. May. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Today, I want to talk a little bit about um, what you do, and can you fill us in as far as what it's like in the operating room with you when you're working on the animals? Well, surgery is an important thing to pay attention to, making sure everything's done properly, getting the animal ready for surgery, and spaying and neutering is, of course, something that I've done for over 12 years now as a practicing veterinarian here in Los Angeles, and it's important for prevention of unwanted puppies and kittens uh, who otherwise would often end up in the shelter and not have homes in many cases. So um, also for prevention of health issues and being hit by a car for dogs that are escaping, looking for a mate, spaying and neutering is very important. And so that's one of the offerings that I provide to patients. And it's important to make sure sterile technique is observed, proper surgical technique and having good equipment. Uh, As a house call vet, I don't do as much surgery nowadays. I mainly do home visits to people's homes in the LA area and I, I don't do surgery at people's homes. I, I would have to do that at a clinic of course. But okay. Yeah. And what is it like when you go to people's homes and what animals are you seeing most of? Mainly dogs and cats. Okay. A wide variety of breeds and temperaments and ages and sizes and everything else. Uh, all sorts of conditions anywhere from you know healthy puppy checks to elderly geriatric patients with numerous health issues that I'm managing and then end of life care as well. Oh wow, right. Uh, what kinds of things can people call you for? Blood work. Okay. Um, I can do a blood test to check complete blood count, chemistry profile, thyroid levels, urinalysis. I can do a fecal tests to check for parasites and worms. I also give vaccines when indicated. I can also run titer checks to see if there's adequate antibody levels, in which case a vaccine may not be needed. I just did one of those uh, yesterday, in fact. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't want to give a vaccine if it's not necessary. So I'd like to check to see if their antibody levels are adequate. Sure. And I know you're also a big um, anti-vaccine advocate. 
well, I believe in for, choice, and mm-hmm. I believe people should be able to make informed choices for humans. For I humans, say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to muddle that with animals. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah. Yes, but for humans, I know you've you've said a lot about how you feel about that, mm-hmm. and from a doctor's point of view, how do you feel? Well, I think that there's a lot of information that's not readily available to most of the public because in the mainstream media, unfortunately, we see just one side of the story. And that's because most of the advertising dollars for mainstream news comes from the pharmaceutical industry. Mm. And that means that the other side of the story doesn't get heard. You don't get to hear about the cases where infants become autistic or suffer from severe allergies, asthma, eczema, even sudden infant death syndrome, which has been linked to getting multiple vaccines several days prior to this happening. And with the passage of SB 277 by Governor Brown in 2015, which mandates kids to be fully vaccinated Mm. in order to be allowed to go to school, there's an infringement on the rights of parents to make informed choices for their children, which Mm -hmm. is problematic. So I'm not a parent. Thankfully, I don't have to deal with that dilemma directly myself, but I do empathize with the parents out there who are struggling with this, whether they have to figure out if they're going to homeschool or somehow get a medical waiver for their children to not have to be vaccinated according to the CDC schedule. I was on the fence about this up until a few years ago. Uh, I had kind of heard some rumors about, okay, maybe there's a link with autism or maybe it was debunked, but I wasn't quite sure what the real truth was. And then when I watched a documentary called Trace Amounts, which I just stumbled upon and I was doing some searching online, I was just blown away about how much corruption there is at the CDC in terms of covering up data that has shown very strong evidence of a causal relationship between thimerosal, which is a mercury preservative found in some vaccines, Mm -hmm. and autism which is now at an epidemic where one in 36 kids absolutely is suffering from this condition. And it used to be back in the 80s when I was a kid, mm-hmm. it was Me like too. one in 10,000. Yes. So that's an enormous jump in a very short period of time. And, and that's something that you know we can't just continue to keep our blinders on. About. Why do you think they're covering it up, the CDC? Is that money? Is money being passed? There's, is- there's a tremendous financial incentive by okay. the pharmaceutical industry to profit from vaccine purchases and manufacturing. And ever since 1986, when the Supreme Court ruled that vaccines would be unavoidably unsafe, uh, they removed all liability Hmm. Hmm. from the vaccine manufacturers, meaning Hmm. that if a child dies or suffers from an adverse reaction to a vaccine, there's no legal recourse uh, against the vaccine manufacturer. You know, whereas if someone purchased a car that was defective and someone lost their life because of that or become injured because of a, a malfunctioning vehicle component, that person could theoretically sue the car manufacturer and get some recourse. Sure. But that's just not an option in the, in the case of vaccines. Mm-hmm. So while there is a vaccine injury court, it's taxpayer funded. It's not funded by the manufacturers of the vaccines. That's interesting. And it's a very long and laborious process that can take upwards of a decade in some cases. Why do you think Governor Brown uh, allowed it to pass? Misinformation? um, Well, that's a great question. I mean, 
I was disappointed, and sure, I, mean, I think a lot of people. I have been. I I was hoping that more of the state legislators would have the opportunity to watch this film, Trace Amounts. And there's some other films that are really good too, such as Vaxxed, uh, Bot, uh, The Truth About Vaccines, and others that shed light into the profit incentive and also the, you know, the covering up of scientific information and how things have been distorted. It was very eye-opening to me, especially seeing that there have been cases of kids who've actually recovered from autism with the appropriate chelation therapy, which has That's to be done you know, very carefully, of course, but it, it has but been has, shown to and be. And they have to be diagnosed in order then to get this treatment. Correct. And when, okay. Huh. Yeah, so, it, and not every kid is going to be as responsive, you know, depending on the severity sure. of the condition, but it's, to me, it's heartbreaking to have to see a child who had the opportunity to live mm-hmm. a full life be denied that opportunity just because a company wants to profit from selling their vaccines, and I just don't think that's right. Absolutely. So, um, you know, whatever I can do to raise awareness and to empower people to speak up and affect change, you know, I'm willing to do. That's wonderful. How do vaccines affect animals? And is it, are you as um, dis- discerning with vaccine, vaccinating animals? Well, yeah, I mean, with vaccines in animals, in dogs and cats, there are certain legal requirements that have been in place for a very long time, such as the rabies vaccine requirement sure. for dogs. And there is now with Dr. Rob, who has an organization called Protect the Pets, an effort to push more of the tighter testing for rabies vaccines. And that can certainly be offered for clients who don't want to have to repeat the vaccines. Or for other vaccines, it's even easier because there's no legal requirement. Right. And the other thing that I want to just throw out there is that vaccination is not the same thing as immunization. And sometimes people get those two confused. Can you tell us the difference? So there's just one part of the immune system that vaccination is stimulating. And it's not the natural route of administration when someone is naturally, whether a dog or a human, is exposed to a pathogen. Mm. In the natural world, it's, it's through oral or nasal or the mucous membranes of the intestines that this pathogen is interacting with our body and then triggering an immune response. Okay. An injectable mm-hmm. is working in a completely different way, which bypasses those mucous membranes that have to have contact in the natural world. And there's a whole section of the immune system which is not activated. Interesting. Uh, by the uh, by vaccination the in- correct. that's injected. Yes. Now, I've heard uh, it's really important and interesting you bring this up because I've heard the two wor- uh, two words be interchanged. Uh, they you, are have frequently you, interchanged. Have you received your immunizations? Have you received mm-hmm. your vaccinations? But it's thrown and they mean the same thing as far as when many people are just talking in conversation people and throwing often those words around. put them interchangeably, but they're yes. different things, in yes. fact. That's really interesting. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Are there any immunizations that are injected. Well, that's a, a long conversation. Okay. <laughs> now I'm, I'm probably thinking about over the I mean, it a the, too much, the vaccinations can be in some cases immunizing, but not all vaccines take effect for one thing. Okay. And so checking the antibody levels with a blood test is one way to measure 
if the immune system has responded to the vaccine. Got it. That's so interesting. I didn't know there was that clear difference. And it would be great, I think, if everyone could be this informed about what they're putting into their bodies or their children's bodies or even their animals' bodies. Right. You know? I mean, just to rather than, oh, yeah, this is just what you do and it's a law by state and this is, you know, your only option. But if we actually knew what we had and what it what it actually meant you know maybe things would be different yeah definitely the other thing i wanted to talk to you about is you are vegan yes how long have you been vegan almost 19 years wow Mm -hmm. 19 years ago they didn't have as much for vegans not as much (laughs) nosh on what were you eating then versus what do you eat now as far as like the major differences you've seen well i was raised vegetarian i should say and my grandfather who I came from India, witnessed a pig being slaughtered in Malaysia on the way to America. And from that point onward, he was not wanting to eat any animals. That was it. And so that tradition passed on to me. And then when Mm -hmm. I read about what happened to dairy cows and egg-laying hens, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to contribute to the cruelty that those industries perpetuate on those animals anymore. And so being vegan um, has been a big part of my life for a long time and it's not really hard for me to be vegan at all. In, in fact, it's gotten a lot easier lately. But in, in those days, um, I ate you know, tofu, beans, rice, corn, lentils. And there were vegan cookies available back then, too. I mean, mm-hmm. Alternative Baking Company. Now there are so many more, of course, and so many more vegan cheeses. But, I mean, I try to keep things pretty simple for the most part in terms of you know, what I'm eating because too much processed food is not a healthy thing. Um, on a long-term basis. I think for people who are transitioning to eating plant-based, it's helpful sometimes if they have a craving for a certain food, such as uh, beef or chicken, to try the the plant-based versions of those foods that are readily available. But in the long run, switching over to the nature's way of producing foods, such as garbanzo beans, you know, hummus, mm. lentils, and brown rice, quinoa, millet. You know, there's so many great recipes out there. Um, coconut milk ice cream is delicious that you know you can definitely fulfill all your nutritional requirements through these plant-based foods and satisfy your taste as well what is the biggest misnomer about being um a vegan i would say well i think there's a, a stereotype about vegans being protein deficient but yes uh, that's probably one of the most common questions. The anemic, protein deficient. You hear those <laughs> words thrown around yeah. a lot when someone says they're yeah. vegan or vegetarian. Yeah. For sure. And in fact, uh, iron is readily available through plant sources as well. And for those that are anemic, I would just suggest adding in a source of vitamin C with your iron-rich foods to enhance the absorption of the iron. And websites like veganoutreach.org have a whole section on nutrition that you can there read you up go. on. and pcrm.org mm-hmm. that's the physicians committee for responsible medicine they have some great resources and a 21 day vegan kickstart program which has free recipes you can sign up on their website and, and get those depending on whatever quite kind of cuisine you like whether it's indian mexican how great is that yeah it's it's like for everyone's palate that's There's when i really love the internet yeah when it can be so resourceful and <laughs> yeah. used for positive things for sure and help people um and what what you also want your animals to 
have a vegan diet. That is important. We are working on a proposal for dogs to be plant-based at the Los Angeles shelters. And it's important because right now there are uh, 33,000 dogs in the Los Angeles city shelters that are being fed a meat meal-based food, which is actually mainly uh, chicken meals, the first ingredient. Chickens are the worst abused animals on the face of the planet. They are not even given protections under the Humane Slaughter Act because they're not mammals, which is just outrageous. And I, as a veterinarian, have watched many undercover videos of chickens being slaughtered and inhumanely. I mean, where they're still conscious when their throats are slit, or in some cases, if the blade doesn't slit their throat and they're scalded alive, it's, it's really horrific what these poor creatures suffer through. And to have to feed another animal something that is not necessary because dogs are omnivores. They are not carnivores. They don't need animal protein to mm-hmm. survive or even thrive. Um, it's, it's a real tragic thing that is going on right now that doesn't need to be that way. So we're trying to get the word out that dogs can be plant-based, that they can thrive on plant-based food. And there are thousands of dogs that are doing great on plant-based diets. And it's actually... That's wonderful. And probably more cost-effective too, right? Yeah, definitely. Because they're not going to be as sick. Yeah. They won't have as much allergies. Mm-hmm. A lot of the allergies that manifest with skin itching, biting, scratching, and licking is from meat protein allergy to chicken and beef. Yeah. And who knows how, like you said, they're being these chickens are being tortured and you don't know what else is maybe getting into the processing with them. I mean, you hear things, you know, that are less than ethical, unfortunately, which, you know, you don't know how that's going to affect the animals. And, um, yeah, it just, it's, it's so sad. Definitely. Yeah, it's very sad. Plus there's so many toxins that are bioaccumulated in the animal flesh. So we're talking about heavy metals like arsenic, which Mm -hmm. is a group one carcinogen, and cancer is at an epidemic now in dogs where Absolutely. one in two dogs dying from cancer. Mm-hmm. So this is a huge concern for, for the dog's well-being as it is for the, of course, well-being and survival of other animals and the planet that we live on because right now we're facing a crisis with global warming. And, and where do all these, these chickens are on chicken farms? And so all, farms, all over yeah. the nation. Right. Okay. Intensive confinement facilities where they're crammed in, in small and, spaces, unable to move around unable to spread their wings without, you know, bumping up against a bird next to them and de-beaked without anesthetic where tender nerve tissue is. Can you believe that? It's just terrible. There is a theory that I've heard, and I don't know what you think about this, but um, the energy that's carried over through torture, like when the animal dies and then is fed, you know, to use as, as a meal, um, is not good energy for no. your body to no. ingest. Absolutely not. So yeah. that kind of torture carries over, they say, to when you are, whether you're an animal or person eating that meal. I agree. Um, and I think it, it, it has... Which you is know, not like good a, for the cells or right, body. Definitely. I mean, there are effects that we probably aren't even able to quantify. Right. That you know, really go beyond what our, you know materialistic understanding of science and health is but when you you just look at the health of animals these days compared to decades ago it's gotten worse it hasn't gotten better and isn't that funny where we've we're such like in one way so evolved where we you know in this world right now 
Um, but you look at other things like cancer is on the rise and autism and all of these kind of what I call like gray area diseases, autoimmune things that, and then you look at like actually what we're eating, the air we're breathing and you put it all together in many ways, it's worse Mm -hmm. than it was definitely because it's, it's, you know, it's more polluted, right? You know, our water, our food, the air, just all of our natural resources, which is why we just have to shift towards a sustainable way, right? Which, having organic, plant-based farming methods, is really the the way of the future. What do your um, plant-based animal diets look like? Are they having beans that's made into a, um, like yeah, well, a meal or corn, cornmeal? I, I mean, some how- of them have corn. Some of them have. Uh, pea protein mm-hmm. oh yeah and uh, various legumes can be used you know grains pulses dogs actually have the ability to digest carbohydrates much more so than wolves uh, who are their ancestors and that was studied recently that actually the genes they have are you know much more prevalent than the, the wolves genes for digestion of carbohydrates so mm-hmm. they are able to do that especially given their evolution with humans over the last over 15,000 years they've spent time with humans and they've evolved that ability so it's not like they they can't handle grains sometimes people have a misconception of thinking that grains are somehow not suitable for dogs but actually dogs can digest grains just fine what is the easiest way for somebody to start their dog on a plant-based diet just a average person well, if they're feeding a conventional food, uh, such as you know, Purina or Iams, Chow, you know, Kibble, they can switch over to a plant-based kibble, such as Natural Balance or Nature's okay. Recipe, uh, PetGuard V-Dog, V-Dog.com, Evolution, PetFoodShop.com, Benevo, Benevo.com. There are plenty oh, of so different brands. Oh, so there's many there brands are, that yeah, have gone couple, plant-based. Probably at least a dozen brands out there that have at least a plant-based option available. Uh, we have some information on our website, plantbased.dog, which goes into profiles of dogs that are thriving on, on vegan foods, as well as vets in support of this initiative. But yeah, it should be a gradual transition to minimize diarrhea, which can sometimes happen. But if it's done over the course of a week, gradually increasing the proportion of the vegan food, it's a lot easier for their digestive system. But some dogs don't even have that much of an issue, even if it is done abruptly. So it is best to do it um, on a gradual basis if that's feasible. And sometimes dogs can be a little picky. You may want to try something else if they're not eating the food right away. Use some nutritional yeast oh, to yeah. stimulate their interest in it. Mm-hmm. I love nutritional yeast. Yeah, it yeah, has that's B vitamins. Cool. really yeah. healthy. So tell us a little bit about your um, uh, nonprofit. Oh, yes. I, I would a, love to hear about that. A nonprofit group I started called the Veterinary Association for the Protection of Animals, or VAPA. And our website is vapavets.org. And this was started because I've noticed many people coming to me over the years wanting to become veterinarians, and they are concerned about having to kill or harm animals in veterinary school. That really is a problem and needs to be addressed because we could help so many more animals if we had more animal-friendly veterinarians. Not that the veterinarians that we have are, are bad people. I mean, they're doing the best that they can, but the problem that happens in vet schools when you have to do procedures in which animals are killed or harmed it desensitizes a person to the feelings of those animals. I remember the day I stopped wanting to be a veterinarian was when I realized I would have to operate on like a turtle 
or a dog and I would have to, to, in my mind, because I loved them so much, I would be hurting them, right? I'd have to like cut them open or, or worse, uh, put them to sleep, mm. uh, you know? And I yeah. thought that's, uh, that's out for me. Right. So that is very interesting through all of your work, you've seen this area. That's also not an area that a lot of people like to talk about because it feels almost a little embarrassing. Mm-hmm. So, okay, please continue telling us about this. It's very interesting. Yeah, so there's a vet school called Western University College of Veterinary Medicine, which has a reverence for life philosophy here in Southern California in Pomona. And they don't have any harmful or terminal use of animals at all in their curriculum. They use what's called a willed body donation program where they accept donations of cadavers of dogs who are euthanized for humane medical reasons or cats or die of natural causes mm-hmm. to have uh, students learn about anatomy, which, of course, vet students have to learn that somehow. And I think that could be a really good model for other vet schools across the country to adopt. Absolutely. When I was a student at UC Davis, I helped coordinate a surgery training wet lab using ethical source cadavers from a similar type body will program. And then subsequent to that, we had uh, the phasing out of what were then offered as terminal surgeries where students had performed surgeries on animals who uh, were killed at the end of the procedure. And then you can't even learn that well that way because you don't even see how your patient recovered. But they, yeah, they replaced that with an option where students could perform surgeries with faculty supervision on animals who needed the procedures. For instance, a cat in... um you know, phase four of cancer or uh, that would need a surgery or removal of a tumor. Mm-hmm. The, okay, so that's what started being implemented? They, okay. they started okay. implementing a rotation during senior year okay. so students could do those surgeries with faculty supervision on animals who actually needed, needed it. Wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, so I'd like to see more of that spread to other vet schools. The other part of what our group VAPA, Veterinary Association for the Protection of Animals, does is to raise awareness about the benefits of veganism to the veterinary profession. And we do this through educational presentations as well as documentary screenings, films such as Peaceable Kingdom, which show the connection between farmed animals and people, especially former farm hands who were involved in slaughter of these animals, had a a churning of their minds to where they recognized that there was something inside of themselves that they were turning off in order to allow them to do these unfortunate acts towards these innocent creatures and finally came to terms with the fact that they really needed to honor that part of themselves that was compassionate towards those animals that perhaps as a child they had been told didn't matter or were to be ignored. Mm-hmm. And so many times, you know, we see in society that we love our dogs and cats, but then what about pigs, chickens, and cows? It's almost like they don't exist or they don't matter. Mm-hmm. But they all have sentience. They all have the ability to suffer, to feel pain, as well as pleasure and joy and fear. And those emotions are, you know, part of the fabric of who we are as living creatures on this planet. And to be able to connect to that, I think, is very powerful and um, affirming of who we are as earthlings on this planet absolutely sharing this planet with not only other people and people from other countries but animals and animals all over the world wild animals farm animals animals we consider domestic pets i mean right and that's an interesting thing you bring up too there's always that back and forth about you know are animals emotional 
Can they feel pain? And I mean, I have certainly seen enough videos where you take a baby from its mom and that mama elephant or mama dolphin or mama dog, they're, they're crying. They're mm-hmm. getting, I mean, you, and you know, fear, anger, joy, I think those all translate whether you're a human or animal. And that's interesting. Is there research that said, that says that they are emotive? Emo- oh, for sure. There's a lot of research. All animals. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially... From a fish? Yeah. Fish feel fish. pain. They, some of them mate for life, in fact. I mean, yeah. and the, what Isn't happens to them being pulled from the ocean, I mean, they're being suffocated. And there's so much bycatch, too. That means other animals that are not the intended target species. I see. End up being taken along for the ride, unfortunately. And at this rate, our tuna oceans are being depleted. Tuna used to hear with dolphins. Yeah, well, you hear about dolphin safe tuna. Well, what about... Tuna safe tuna. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, t- yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there there's a big concern about the depletion of the oceans now. With scientists are predicting that by 2048, our oceans are going to be completely depleted. Destroyed. Yeah. Uh, and what do you think about the habitat that our ocean is becoming for these animals? It's becoming polluted. A lot of plastics are getting thrown in the ocean. People are so reliant upon convenience. I have my glass water bottle here i know because i don't look I well was- <laughs> i mean there's always room for imperfection and that's you know part of our existence but if we can try to move away from plastic as much as feasible or you know, not get that straw when you're at the restaurant yes or bring your own glass straw or steel straw it helps prevent the oceans from getting bogged down with this plastic waste what happens to plastic once it's in the ocean and why is it so harmful it doesn't degrade. It, it it actually sometimes it'll go into little pieces, but it won't actually uh, disintegrate the way biodegradable matter can, and therefore it can block the intestines of creatures. It can get into the organs of all kinds of marine animals, and it can get stuck like straws. I've seen a video of a straw getting stuck inside a tortoise's uh, nasal passages. It had to be forcibly extracted, and this poor animal was just suffering can't even breathe properly with a you know bloody no you're again you're you're being suffocated or slowly tortured what about i've heard different things about hormones in the um the ocean and how it affects sea life animals so i mean there are concerns with some of the medications like the birth control pills that get flushed down the toilet and that could be affecting the hormonal balance of various species so I I think people should be careful about you know what they what flush cleaning. down their toilet yeah. for sure. It's so funny. I feel like we throw something away or we throw something in the toilet and it's like once it's out of our face, we don't care. And I say we as like, you know, a majority of people. I'm guilty of it too, you know. But if you, if you were mindful about everything you tossed in the recycler or tossed in the trash or tossed in the toilet – it would probably be very different. Right. Or if we thought, what if we had to live where this was ending up? Right. Or if people we were, live were taxed for, you know, every time you throw a plastic bottle in the trash, you, you get a little tax for that. Maybe, sure. To incentivize people. Sure. A little, yeah, a little fine. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet you people would change pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. It's interesting how uh, that can speak volumes. Um, so we've talked about the ocean. How, what are your feelings? You know, I've been watching a lot of shows and things about um, 
confinement in zoos and looking at that whole area as far as, you know, treatment of animals there. What are your feelings on zoos? Well, zoos are not something I subscribe to, especially when it comes to larger animals like elephants and mammals that are big cats and such that really have much more complex needs, especially primates too, that they, it's like a prison for them to be in these zoos. And I know there's been an effort for years now to free Billy the elephant from the Los Angeles Zoo. And unfortunately that has been met with resistance, even though it's so clear to so many people that he doesn't belong in the zoo and he's compromised being stuck in the zoo not having enough space. Does he not have a lot of space? He does not have enough space. I mean, compared to what they would have in the wild, it it, it doesn't even come close. How did he get there? Or do we know some of his story, Billy's story, why he ended up in the zoo? Or I'm not sure in his case exactly how he got to the zoo, but in many cases, uh, elephants are captured from the wild. To be placed in a zoo? Or they, yeah, or they can be born in captivity in some cases also, but the... But maybe their parents were their captured parents or... Were packed, yeah, captured from wild areas where... And the zoo know, and the sanctuary are different. Absolutely. A sanctuary has much more land and it doesn't have, you know, constant tourists coming through. You know, they only have And they're not limited. out looking for animals to bring to their right. compound. Yeah, they, they are not breeding animals okay. they're making sure taking that care of what's they take care there. of who's there and they don't perpetuate the the issue of captive mating and yeah okay so i think instead of zoos i would recommend people take their kids to sanctuaries because they can see animals in a more natural setting without the harassment of human interference it just seems so sad when i'm looking the times i have been to the zoo you know it's a very common school field trip it's a very you know we have them all over um and i you know every time remember you you see them through those black bars and they look so they look sad it doesn't it makes it makes me feel sad knowing that they're like cooped up in there and they can't interact and their lifestyle isn't where it should be so i don't find joy going to the zoo yeah, I agree with you. I remember uh, before vet school many years ago, I was doing a little externship at this zoo, and I helped with constructing a, a climbing structure for goats in the petting zoo as an enrichment project. But um, during my lunch hour, I would walk around the zoo, and I would look at the primates, and it would make me so sad and almost self-conscious that sure. I'm invading their space, their privacy. Yes. And it just made me... Yes you know, uncomfortable, like what, what right do we have as humans mm-hmm. to be imposing our will on other beings who don't have a choice in the matter? It's not right. fair. You're right. Cooping up these animals, exploiting them, it feels like for really what? I mean, I don't, I, I'm not sure what we're getting out of it by, by doing it, but it's an issue. And I can't believe that there still are so many mm-hmm. and it's still such a common practice just to have them do you think that will ever change and what do you think will will what do you think it needs to cause it to change as awareness raises and that people are aware there are other options to take their children to see animals and even talking to children themselves so they understand because i think like when i was talking to a friend of mine about this he said well it kind of poisoned his memory of his childhood visits to the zoo when he 
got older and realized mm-hmm. what those animals had to go through to be sure. stuck in those cages for sure. his supposed pleasure or enjoyment. So I think we need to be honest with children and not uh, withhold the truth from them, mm-hmm. but share with them you know, the reality and then let them make their decisions too and let parents be empowered to make decisions that are good for not just their children, but other animals too. Do you ever work on wild animals, I should say, or, you know, uh, not domestic, what we I don't specialize in wild animals uh, on a practice level in terms of my own day-to-day practice. Uh, I have a few colleagues who have worked on wildlife and do good work when that, you know, opportunity arises. It's not as available in terms of a professional uh, opportunity. Sure. Uh, But there's definitely room for advocacy, such as in ending trophy hunting and poaching and, and that's something that you know I'm definitely supportive of in California we are hoping to ban the importation of trophy absolutely uh, parts that are, uh, causing this a uh, suffering and needless death of wonderful animals around Africa like the rhinos that are now facing extinction unfortunately the last male rhino um, passed away recently and The last male rhino passed away. The last uh, male northern white rhino. So we only have females now. Yeah. Was this a poaching? Was this a? I I I don't know exactly you know how he passed away, uh, but the fact that they are being Being poached poached in general is which is bringing a demise lowering their their number. Yeah, and of course the elephants that are also being poached at alarming numbers. I mean, close to a hundred every day. So legislation is. You know. I was just going to ask you, what do you think the average person can do that's passionate about this but just doesn't know where to start? Well, there's an organization called Social Compassion and Legislation uh, that is very active with uh, lobbying to pursue legislation that protects these animals from poaching. And we have to also start being brave enough, I think, to call things what they are. Uh, so the idea of trophy hunting, even if it is supposedly, in some people's view, uh, providing value in the, in the sense of they provide a monetary uh, prize for their poach, uh, their trophy hunting, uh, but then that's actually causing a worsening of the situation with demising of the animals, and people are, are just obsessed with this trophy, but then it's not actually helping anyone and it it so we have to call things what they are i think um you know trophy hunting even if it is still legal it's just as immoral as poaching absolutely um and so if we put pressure on our legislators um city council is there any state it's state banned legislators in? right now i'm not sure i don't know either yeah it's yeah still being worked on in California to ban the importation. Yeah. Why do you parts. think it's not banned? There, Isn't it such an obvious ban? Well, there there was a ban on ivory years ago. I but do remember that. They had to do an additional bill because there was a loophole concerning mm-hmm. the fact that certain items like guns had ivory parts and jewelry and such. So there actually are now efforts to destroy ivory from elephants that are aiming to reduce the demand for that uh, so Mm -hmm. that trade won't continue to occur that's causing that demand for the elephant's parts or you know other animals that are killed for their parts. These animals are getting killed for their fur, their tusks, Tusks, their claws, their Mm -hmm. so far in any country that we know of is is it is it illegal like just a straight up illegal ban? 
like af- you know cause yeah I, I mean it, it I'm not sure what can be done other than continuing to put pressure yeah. on um, these companies and, and legislators and not glorifying something that's a horrible thing like calling know. it murder yeah which I is what it that's what it is, is versus exactly putting names on it um right. like you said trophy hunting or trophy killing whatever that's already such a putting it out there as um just a, a phrase that's silly it's yeah it's it's murder it's, it's minimizing the value of, of life and yeah it is yeah, murder i agree with of you the, of the meaning of what it really is you also i don't know how you find the time but you also work with homeless people yes and their pets so can you tell us a little bit about that Sure. Well, I volunteer with Angel Hunts for the Homeless. Uh, we actually have a gathering tomorrow oh. in North Hollywood. It's the last Sunday of the month, and a lot of homeless people do have animals of their own, and some of them have rescued these animals. Some of them may have had the animals before they became homeless. And sure. Homelessness is a complex and, and difficult issue that there are many facets to, but you know, not everyone is just some loser who has no motivation. Absolutely. Who's homeless. I mean, some of these people had very difficult circumstances that they couldn't have anticipated that, you know, lost homes, lost floods, homes. fires. Do you see mental illness? Sometimes we do role? see so that playing a role too. Um, but they do love their animals. And absolutely. So we do health checks and deworming nail trim, anal gland expression, free vegan food for the dogs. And that's every uh, last Sunday of the month in uh, North Hollywood. We can always use more help and, and volunteer and donations. What kinds of volunteers do you guys need? And donations. Uh, donations of uh, money, of course, to help with supplies. Uh, donations of blankets, uh, shoes. We actually have uh, a good supply of donations coming in uh, for shoes and clothes that I'm going to be delivering tomorrow. And the, where can people bring these? Well, I would get in touch with the coordinator, Karen Hamza, and our website is um, angelhansla.blogspot.com. So and is that Hans? Spelled? H-A-N-Z. So H-A-N-Z, okay. Angelhansla.blogspot.com. And you can also watch some slideshows of previous gatherings. So it includes not just the, the pet portion, but also the, you know, the people. They get to have a free vegan meal they get the chance to get their hair cut if they need that. Uh, there's sometimes we have a mobile groomer for the animals. There are free books and all That's kinds of great wonderful. resources. This is amazing. Is mm-hmm. it a clinic? Uh, it's at the park in okay. uh, Chandler Park in North, North Hollywood. Hollywood. And it, the gathering starts at one o'clock in the afternoon. People start lining up as soon as they can. I mean, sometimes they get there around 12, 1230 even. And volunteers arrive at 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen, the coordinator, she gets there before then to get things set up. So it's a big effort. And then I finish up usually around three o'clock. So sometimes later. But yeah, we have a lot of animals who need help. I was just going to ask, do people bring their their dogs and cats? Yeah. And And cats are kept in carriers and we don't want them running off. So (laughs) we we put them ahead of the line so they get the attention they need. And then the dogs... uh, you gotta, you know, variety, variety and you guys will do checkups on the dogs and, and cats, whatever right. pets they bring and make sure their health is well. And that is so great because um, you do see homeless people with their And sometimes animals. that's all they have is their family. I mean, it's their animal. So that's everything. Yeah. That's their world. Wow. That's, that's really amazing. That's every last Sunday? The last Sunday, Sunday of, of each month. Of every month. Yeah. Okay. 
great. And how long have you been working with them? Uh, about three years now. Wow. Yeah. We'd love to have more veterinarians helping too. If oh, that's good can, to know too. Can help to out. That'd be great. Donate their time. Yeah. And that's wonderful. I have had such a great interview with you. Thank you so much for oh, coming sure. on the show. My Is there pleasure. anything else you want to add? How do we get a hold of you? If people want to get a hold of you. Yeah, it's uh, veganvet.net, and people can uh, send me a message through my website. If they're interested in setting up a house call appointment or a consultation, they can also submit that through the website. What is your area that you cover? Uh, West Side primarily, so Santa Monica, West LA, Brentwood, uh, Venice, Marina Culver Del Rey, City. Culver City. Um, okay. Sometimes I will come out to downtown LA or you know a little farther east, but... I, because of all the driving that I do, I have to kind of keep it within a certain range. Absolutely. Is there any one super, um, like, general important piece of advice you could give to pet owners that's just good to know? Uh, for pet for, guardians, I use yes, the, the uh, term. pet guardians. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, I allow them enough space to exercise, give them good food, brush their teeth if they'll let you. Oh, very nice. <laughs> um, sure try to get their teeth taken care of because uh, oral hygiene is so important for overall health. Can it do something to the heart? If it you, can. If yeah. it goes Bacteria on. can get into the bloodstream and affect the heart, the kidneys, and the liver. So important just as it is for our health to maintain dental hygiene. So is true for our animal companions. Spay and neutering? Definitely. Very important. Spaying okay. and neutering. And you can do that? Absolutely. You can do all of those things? Yes. Okay. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great and so informative. I always love talking to you. (laughs) You're like just this walking, um, just encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to animals and diet and worldly issues and just so many things. So thank Uh, you so much. Thank you. We can be heroes.